Heavenly Features is an 18 Maiden Lane production. Content warning for this episode of Heavenly Features, we discuss cancer and death. Hey, uh, Kim here, just at the top. Uh, Just want to let you know that my dog was in the room for this episode. Uh, So... At the moment, I'm recording in what would be probably classed as a storage corridor. Um, and so he wanted to be in with me today. So there is quite a lot of him tapping around on the laminate floor. And uh, you can hear him bark a few times. Uh, so apologies in advance for that. Hello and welcome to Heavenly Features, a film podcast where myself, Sophie and my friend Kim. Hey, how's it going? get together every week to talk about film we both recommend a film to each other and watch it and then come together to chat and hopefully you can join us in this journey together so kim what film did you want to watch this week um so okay because it's the month of december soph and i have decided that we are going to do all winter or holiday themed films for the entire month so my first pick was uh the 1998 film stepmum uh, so this was written by Gigi Lavangi, uh, among others, and directed by Chris Columbus. Uh, it stars Julia Roberts, Susan Sarandon and Jenna Malone. Stepmom is about a family after a divorce trying to figure out what their lives look like and how they fit in with each other. So Luke, played by Ed Harris, and Jackie, played by Susan Sarandon, uh, divorced about two years ago. And Luke has now moved in with his new partner, Isabel who is played by Julia Roberts. And there's lots of like drama and animosity around the sort of setup. And uh, it gets even harder when Luke asks Isabel to marry him. Uh, and at the same time, Jackie finds out that her cancer has come back and uh, is told that it is uh, actually terminal. So the whole family uh, have to come together and figure out what their future looks like and how they're going to cope uh, with their own issues and what they uh, are going to do with their lives and how they can make space for each other and sort of what their family will look like both before and after Jackie does pass away. So yeah, that's that's the film I chose uh, this week. Um, so basically I chose this film because I always think of it as uh, a film to do sort of snuggle up, grab a hot chocolate and a blanket and sort of watch some great acting and feel comforted. So that's exactly what I did do. I sort of grabbed a blanket and I grabbed my dog and lit the open fire and snuggled up and uh, I did substitute the hot chocolate for beer, but you know. um, So I got all cosy and uh, put it on thinking oh it'll get me right in the mood for like sort of Christmas and winter and it'll make me feel so like snuggly and happy and cosy and then I just cried the whole way through because I always forget that I just bawled my eyes out through this entire film. (laughs) Uh, What about you Soph? Did you uh, find the same thing? Oh yeah definitely. I think um, it's one of those films where because it is in many ways um, the the, the image is so comforting. Um, There's so many like autumnal colors there's lots of orange leaves there's like an amazing fucking kitchen in jackie's house um all these like things where you go oh this is so lovely and comforting i mean that house in general was amazing um that you're just like this is just amazing brilliant just sit down enjoy it take it all in and you forget about the actual plot and how devastating it is um (laughs) and so (laughs) when i started watching this i was like um kim why have you done this to me Um, (laughs) have, have i hurt you (laughs) <laughs> have I done something to you? Because I actually had to stop 10 minutes in and go take my makeup off, knowing full well that if I didn't, 
I would be a complete state. I mean, I was still a mess by the end, but I wasn't that much of a state because I'd taken that precaution. But oh my God, um, such a heartbreaking film, but so amazingly acted um, and an amazing cast. Oh, incredible. And yeah, the acting, top notch. Like the, the looks that Susan Sarandon gives are just, oh, perfect. Like she's just, she's perfection. Well, in that scene when... Um, Luke and Jackie get together and Jackie has asked him to come to um, tell him that she she has terminal cancer and he decides that he's going to take that moment to tell her about the fact that he wants to propose to Isabel. The looks that, or just like the facial expressions that Susan Sarandon has in that moment, oh my God, like she just says everything. She doesn't even have to talk that much. She's just emoting this kind of um, fear, this holding back emotion this um kind of vulnerability it's just all written there and you just feel so bad for her in that moment even though she has been a little bit of a raging cunt for the first half of the film (laughs) honestly and it's like the every time i watch it i think i'm gonna i mean i haven't watched it in a few years in fairness but i'm i always forget how much of a twat they are like her and Anna just are such twats to Isabel. They're so awful. They're so awful to Isabel, played by Julia Roberts. Like, they, just every moment there is to say something cutting, to pull, um, to, to comment on something that Isabel either hasn't done or hasn't done to the level or expectation that they have of her um, or of what they want. And, you know, because Jackie lives her life so regimentally and she is like, um, wanting to live this life as a perfect mum. And Isabel is like, how do I even attempt to start this? And she gives it her best shot. And every time that she fails or she doesn't quite get it or something goes wrong, Jackie just pounds on her every single time. And yet, by halfway through the film, all those feelings reverse. Um, so I don't like Jackie at the beginning, neither does Isabel. They don't really get on. Um, but as we get along the film, we start to um, like Jackie more as we realise, and she realises as a character, that she is going to have to change her relationship with Isabel because she realises that Isabel is going to become the stepmom, is going to not take the place of her, but kind of be able to fulfil a lot of the roles that Jackie won't be able to fulfil for her children um, when she passes. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's, I mean, there's that fantastic scene where they have come together um in the same bar that you were just talking about with luke and jackie where susan sarandon does that amazing acting um where isabel and jackie come together to talk about basically what it's going to be like after jackie dies Mm. and there's that that beautiful it's like such a well done scene it's so well written where they they talk about you know oh you're mother earth incarnate and jackie's like you're hip and fresh and they have this back and forth and isabel says about you you know every story every wound every memory like their whole life's happiness is wrapped up in you and i mean obviously she goes on further than that and then she's saying that her fear is that she'll be at Anna's wedding wishing and Anna will be wishing that her mum was there and Jackie says and mine is she won't and then goes on to say I have their past you can have their future and just that Mm -hmm. one line I have their past you can have their future is not only so generous but also so heartbreaking 
Yeah. But it just shows the change in her mentality and the way she feels about the whole situation. It's obviously a tough situation to be in. Like, no one wants to go through a divorce. You don't get married and have kids thinking, oh, well, you know, 10 years and I'm done. Like, she... And she's such a controlling person and such a... She she always has to be in control, Jackie. Yeah. That this has thrown her whole life out of control and... You can understand why there was animosity there trying to figure it out. Yeah, and even more so when, like, she didn't seem to have any control over uh, the divorce because she kicks Luke out, probably fully expecting that he would come back and he doesn't, and then files for divorce. That's certainly the impression that I got when watching it. And then Mm -hmm. she gets the uh, diagnosis of the fact that her cancer has come back and it's terminal, and uh, she loses literally the control over her life, over how much she is um, able to see of her children's life in the future, her own life, whether she's going to be able to kind of, how long she's going to live for. Um, And also the control, she loses control over her life in terms of the daily things that she was previously able to do that she's no longer able to do because she's too sick or because of the reactions that she has to her medication. She has to make such a change. And I think that's why we see such a different change in her personality because if she loses that control, first of all, she's lashing out because she is probably scared, she's upset, she's frustrated at the situation that she's found herself in uh, when she is somebody who likes to know, you know, be in control and be able to do whatever she wants to do or, or whatever, um, do everything perfectly. And now she doesn't have that control. There is this, um, she has to share control or share responsibilities with her ex-husband um, and his new partner and then, of course, the, the the cancer as well. She has to completely flip and change her perspective and kind of let go a little bit. And then what I really like is that it kind of made her perhaps see and appreciate life in a different way. She didn't have to hold on to everything. She didn't have to be so organized. She could sit back and just kind of enjoy her children and enjoy her relationships and maybe even consider enjoying building a relationship with Isabel and mending her relationship perhaps with her ex-husband so that they can have a good relationship. These are all things that she comes to when she is actually able to kind of let go and kind of forgive almost um, the fact herself and the fact that she can no longer behave in the way she previously did. She has to evolve and change into this new person. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's such an interesting journey to go on with her. Um, even though you're kind of looking at it all through kind of Isabel's eyes a lot of the time. I think that shifts as the movie progresses. We start looking at it through Isabel's eyes when Jackie is more hostile. And then as the movie progresses, we actually spend probably a little more time with Jackie as she starts making this journey. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's such a fascinating way to tell a story because yeah. it's not just one-sided then. And I think that it's just such a fascinating way to show development of characters when you have these this awful situation and they, they how they all deal with it. It's it's They all deal with it in different ways. But one thing I think that is very true to life, but also is so annoying, is that everything is blamed on Isabel. Mm. Isabel had nothing to do with any of it. She's come into this situation because she's fallen in love with a man. And everything that goes wrong, every time the kids aren't picked up on time, every time they need someone to pick the kids up, she's the one who's called. And 
she has a career. It's not like she doesn't have a career. It's not like she's just sat at home living off Luke's money. She has her own career. She has her own life. But she's expected just to drop everything. And yet she's still the devil. Yeah. Whereas Luke is just let off scot-free. Well, I think what I wasn't expecting and what I hadn't really maybe fully appreciated when I'd watched this um, previously, particularly when I was younger, is uh, there seems to be this message in there that's kind of, I don't know if it's hidden or it's just like not as obvious, like it's not the main point of the plot, but this idea that it's the women that seem to have to sacrifice everything for raising children. You know, Mm -hmm. Jackie, we learn, had a a job at Random House Publishing. So she had this really, um, you know, amazing job that she had previously that she gave up to have children which is one thing. Sometimes people choose to do that. Okay. But... And it's a valid choice and absolutely... But then... So she spends her her entire life then dedicating it to looking after her children. So first of all, we can therefore understand why she is so protective over them and why she um, doesn't want to um, lose um, that connection or share her children with other people because in many ways that's become her new identity. But then we've got Isabel who has fallen in love with someone who and has said she says that she don't, didn't necessarily want to have her own children and yet because she is falling in love with this person she is taking on his children fair enough but she has to sacrifice she has to leave work early and go and pick up the kids she has to um offen- essentially kind of lose her job towards the end yeah. of the film um because she has to make a decision between childcare or the well-being of these children and her career that is put upon her in a way that I don't think that would necessarily be put upon men. Um, She has to look after Luke's children when he's just away for a weekend and she has to look after them by herself, giving up her own time, her own um, freedom, her own kind of opportunities to, to, to further her career or do her own social things. Considering she never necessarily signed up for children, that's a huge sacrifice and he's just never there he's like never around she is all you know and susan sarandon her character jackie always comes to isabel to ask about childcare issues she doesn't really come to luke so there's this there's this kind of commentary going on throughout the story i don't know how intentional it necessarily was um or whether it was it's just kind of happens to be in there but it was whether it's just because it's quite true to life well, because, yeah, it's just kind of basing it on what, some, on what many women experience and perhaps looking at it with a slightly more critical eye, you can, be, you can stop and say, well, wait a minute, why is it always women that are sacrificing? Why is it always, you know, this issue of the evil stepmom, even though they yeah. also have to um, take on all these new roles and, and these children that aren't theirs and all of these different things where they have to make these sacrifices it's always the women doing it not so much the men and it's it's I hadn't noticed that when I had watched this previously I also hadn't noticed that there were these comments about um, kind of sexism in the workplace it, not just in terms of motherhood and, and child rearing but also um, uh, towards the beginning uh, Isabel says to her boss, I will prove why you hired me, even if I wouldn't sleep with you. And it's kind of said in a jokey way, but it's either can be seen as he did proposition her and she refused, or that uh, that is just something that happens in the in- that industry or that happens in the workplace that 
is worth commenting on because it is so common. Common. Yeah. Comment, mate. That was that was good. Comment. Um, <laughs> it's but it's just it, particularly living in this era now of like times up, me too, me all too, these sorts yeah. of. Um, it just kind of I noticed it more perhaps than I probably did on previous watchings that there is this kind of slightly, well, not slightly, this this kind of gross examples of of how she is mistreated in so many ways because of her gender at her work and she is uh, put upon so much because of her gender in her personal life as well which is not necessarily fair no absolutely and also the the, the all of the animosity between the family is all aimed at her yes whereas she didn't she had nothing to do with their relationship she had nothing to do with making those children she had nothing to do with the divorce. Mm. She just happened to fall in love with a man, which surely Jackie can understand because Jackie fell in love with the same man. Yeah. And yet all of the all of the anger, all of the issues are put upon Isabel. And it's just Luke just gets off scot free. Yeah. And I also think it's really telling that the children pick up on this animosity and then whilst they also have their own feelings about you know their parents divorce particularly um jenna malone's character um has her own has her own feelings about uh the divorce she also is picking up on the animosity between her mother and this new stepmother yeah of course and and i mean ben even says it when they go on their horse ride the three of them go on their horse ride together and susan sarandon's bitching uh, susan sarandon jackie is bitching about (laughs) isabel again (laughs) um and like calls like is is going at her looks some like ben says oh she's pretty i think she's pretty and susan sarandon goes oh yeah if you like big teeth yeah um and ben turns around and says if you want me to hate her mum, i will it's just heartbreaking and that's you see you see the reaction from which by the way again susan sarandon's acting oh god you cannot fault it (laughs) but you can see the reaction where she sort of stops also, the horse had great acting. The horse stopped as well. <laughs> um, yeah. But they just stop. And you're like, you see that going in through her mind. She's like, oh, I've put all my anger and passed it on to my son where Isabel could be a positive light in his life. Yes. Oh, definitely. I think um, on a less serious note, I would like to just ask one question, which... I had a lot of I had a lot of uh, kind of holes here in terms of not really fully understanding what was going on with the photo shoots. What the fuck was going on with those photo shoots? <laughs> okay, two things here that we have to remember. Firstly, and it was directed by a man, so you know when you have like, oh, I know what would sell clothes, put put a like below attractive man surrounded by models that will sell the suits. And secondly, it was the late nineties. I know. know. But they were just they were just bizarre. They were so bizarre, some of these um <laughs> these moments. The, um, the main one I had the issue with. So the the suit one I'm like, oh, you know, that's kind of funny. It shows her insight into what sells. Mm. Um I did not quite understand the castle one. You know what the one where Ben goes missing? <laughs> I've no idea what's going on. Um who knows? I mean, I loved all the music that was going on, and the, 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 it was very nostalgic. Um, not at the one at the castle, 
but I think the one in the big white room was um, they had five playing in the background. Yes. And it really took me there, um, <laughs> back to the late 90s. Um, and, but it was Which, just... you know, isn't necessarily uh, a bad thing to go back to. Oh, I enjoyed to. it so much. Not necessarily a good thing, but <laughs> yeah. It was just so weird and random. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I just couldn't get over, like, what... She's meant to be this amazing photographer. Could not tell you why. Uh, she was so amazing. And also, question, when Susan Sarandon, or Jackie, uh, turns up to ask uh, Isabel a favour and they're in the dark room, is mm. that at her work? And if so, how did Jackie get on site? Or is, does Isabel have a dark room in her flat? Which, if so, how did Susan Sarandon walk in? Well, I suppose she walked in before. She must have keys. But, like, mm. yeah, I don't know. I don't know what, what the answer is to that. Um, but it is. I mean, I would let Susan Sarandon walk anywhere. Yeah. If she, if I was security and she came up, I'd be like, "Please, go, go through." Yeah. Do you want me to show you around? <laughs> like... <laughs> also, how much does Luke earn? Because he has that amazing house with Jackie. Now, of course, she obviously had a very good job beforehand, so she would have contributed to that house. But surely he is still paying somewhat for the upkeep of that house because hopefully he because he has children that live there. And then they have this amazing house in New York, a uh, flat or in New York, that's multi-level. Well, they, they do say that he's a lawyer. I know, so but I... even then, even then, like, you would have to have a fucking massive paycheck. And it was definitely just Luke's house before Isabel, because Isabel moved in with him, because Anna even comments, like, oh, this is my dad's house. And um... Isabel goes, well, it's my house too. So, Well, I mean, I don't know, actually. I took that as Luke already had that place. Possibly. And Isabel moved in. It, I might be wrong, but he obviously had to get somewhere. And that's not like a divorced dad condo. <laughs> like, No, it's just, I just couldn't believe. I mean, I know in all fairness, like, it's Hollywood. It's like everybody has a slightly nicer place than their characters can possibly afford. But yes. I was like, oh, my God, this man and his real estate in New York. Fucking hell. <laughs> I know. <laughs> imagine imagine gee and also like how far out does jackie live because she must live in like kind of like new york state but not new york city yes whereas like isabel and luke live in new york city so how far out well, does she she meant to live i don't know because isabel turns up basically every day because she's got to do the school run i know i was like <laughs> my god i mean it would be quite especially if you're thinking about if you're going by car the traffic Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them were driving. I just was, yeah. I mean, maybe we're not meant to think about it. It's just like the the logic of films and not reality in terms of all of this. But I was like, my God, that man and his like real estate empire I know. in yeah. <laughs> in uh, New York. Um, he's doing very well for himself. Maybe he comes yeah. from a, a good background with lots of money. I don't know, but. Yeah, generational Jeez. wealth, but like... Exactly. And you can earn a shit ton as a lawyer. I know, but I just... Uh, I just thought he would have to have an incredibly amazing job. I mean, maybe that's yeah. why he's never around. Um, or not around as much, but... Which, look, absolutely, it like, 100%, it's fair enough that he's not always around. But he has the kids at the weekend. Yeah. 
We see them. He, we see him there once. Yeah. And at one point, he even says at the beginning, he goes, "Oh, I've got to go out of town for work for the weekend, so I'll get a babysitter." Yeah. And it's like I understand that obviously you can't just keep chopping and changing your days with kids and your ex spouse, but like if I was if I was in Jackie's position there, I'd be like, "No, don't get some random to look after my kids. Leave them I'll with me." After. Yeah. Well, maybe she like, had plans. I don't know. Yeah, true. Whatever but... you pay the babysitter, pay to me. I'll... <laughs> like, it's <laughs> well, obviously a that. good wage. <laughs> there is that. There, there's two other things that I really feel we need to talk about. Both involve costumes. I know where you're going with one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so can we talk about the horrific scene of... I can't remember his name. The boy's... What's the boy's name? Ben. Ben as a turkey, getting shot. Okay, obviously, as as two vegans, we don't want to see animals getting hurt. I didn't really mind seeing a little boy get shot so much, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe. I mean, to me, it was, like, very reminiscent of Adam's family values. With their, eat me! It's Thanksgiving Day. (laughs) So I just kind of was... I prefer that where it's more jolly rather than him slowly descending from the ceiling only to get shot and then placed on a plate. It was just like, this is really macabre, guys, for like a a school play. Yes, and you could see by Isabel's face, she was like, the fuck just happened? Like Exactly, and Jackie fucking loved it. Yeah, Jackie Jackie was like, that's my son, the turkey. (laughs) Now, oh my god! Yeah, that was that was definitely weird. Not the most problematic thing with that play. I mean, you've got Confederate no. flag, Confederate soldiers. Mm. You've got white kids dressed up as Native Americans. You know. I mean, the nineties really was a different time. <laughs> yeah, I'm it's... not sure you would see that in a in a family film. I really today, hope perhaps. you wouldn't. <laughs> like Jesus, but yeah, the cameo of Susan Sarandon's daughter dressed up. Yes. As, I assume Amelia Earhart. I would have guessed yes, because obviously she was she's a girl dressed as a pilot. Yeah, so uh, but well, she's dressed seemed... as a pilot and a plane, <laughs> which was magnificent. She was met. They were all there were lots of characters who were like uh, famous historical people from history, wasn't it? Yeah, they so had like I the think... Clintons and um, yeah others. <laughs> like... <laughs> we really paid attention, guys. Um... <laughs> You were just so so kind of thrown off by how amazing Eva Amari looked. Oh, honestly, <laughs> what like just? I mean, you know, I'm a big fan. I love I love her in Saved. I like she came from Susan Sarandon, so <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. Um... <laughs> uh, but yeah, I do love that she obviously went on to work with Jenna Malone again. Yeah, that's really cool because Jenna Malone also has an amazing costume in this, which oh. is her Elvis. Yes, which that's where be... I knew you were going. There. Oh, it was so queer. I mean, I shouldn't project onto children their sexuality, but I mean, I mean... no. <laughs> We definitely shouldn't project sexuality onto children, and obviously we shouldn't try and out them. But she queer. (laughs) Oh my god, it was just the most kind of camp version of Elvis you could have possibly done. Yes, yes. I think it was more camp than even if it was like you know the jumpsuit. Personally, 
Um, oh, yeah. It was this, like, kind of gold lame suit. Yes, and that wig. <laughs> oh, perfection. Yes. yes, it was very butch. I loved it. Yeah, it um... was so butch. It was so butch. <laughs> I don't think I ever noticed it before, really, when watching this. No, I think I think I probably have noticed it, but didn't zoom in on it as much or zone in. I didn't zoom. I, that was... <laughs> <laughs> um... I reckon that I probably, at that moment, because it's a very short scene, I was probably at that moment, bleary-eyed, leaning for a box of tissues and just missed that scene. <laughs> because yeah. it's that point of the film where it's very, very possible Which... that um, I was already a mess. Yes. So... <laughs> That's one thing I do love about this film is the highs and lows you get. Sorry if I was mm. making weird noises then. I was trying to put my dog on the floor. Um, highs and lows you get. Um, you, your emotions just go all over the place, which I think is intentional. And I think it shows the journey of divorce and blended families and cancer and all of these things. Like You do have highs and lows still. Yeah, and I think also it means that this film is not just... Um heartbreak all the way through because that's not really reality even when you're going through really tough times there are there are the fun times as well there are the good moments and that should kind of always be remembered so this felt more realistic yes to have those ebbs and flows but also it probably explains why i always think oh comforting movie snuggle up with a hot cocoa right blanket because you're like oh so autumnal all these remember he was a turkey and she was elvis and they're dancing around to ain't no mountain high i love it and then and you the, watch yeah. it and you go and my heart is broken <laughs> yeah honestly because you like i always even even after watching it and i bawled my eyes out i still was like oh what a comforting movie like because i immediately zoned in again on the elvis on the turkey on the ain't no mountain high enough ain't and like i mean the the scene about snow blowing you know you 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 go Which into is these very inappropriate <laughs> oh my god so inappropriate and i understand why jackie like because when i was younger i was just like oh look at her like standing up for herself like doing an amazing hair flick oh the hair flick was incredible <laughs> but now as an, ad an adult i'm like oh my god she was 12 Yes, and then she walks over to this man who, and he is a man, because he's significantly older than this middle school. <laughs> She's yeah. what, 13 or something? He's a professional and model. He must be like at least 17, 18, at yeah. least. And it's just like, this is weird, guys. This is really weird. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it was too much. I get, I yeah. understand where Isabel was coming from. And I understand her thing afterwards where she says to Jackie oh, well, in future, she'll know to stand up to herself, to stand up for herself. Yes. Like, I get that. But there are ways, especially when children are involved. But yeah, well, the thing is, is if she has access to models, why didn't she just get someone who was actually, you know, 15? <laughs> yes. <laughs> to be, if, she, if she was going to do that, then somebody who was a little closer to their age and also not tell them about, um, you know, the names of sex acts that they can um, <laughs> use as insults. Yes. And also, like, just do it in a more subtle way. Like, if you are going to lie yeah. and and do that, fair enough, get a model to come and pick her up and just make sure that she's, like, met outside school by this guy in front of people so it shows that she's moved mm. on. You don't need to do this big speech about snow blowing and, like... Oh. It's just... And, I, and obviously, <laughs> that, that blonde kid is a douchebag and, like 
will go on to continue to be a douchebag because if he's there well i don't know and all of his friends were taking the piss out of jenna i mean anna like saying that she's a frigid bitch and uh the virgin mary because she wouldn't make out with him yes so like that is a problematic and personally when we were at school i certainly remember one of the biggest insults at the time was to be called like frigid and a virgin which first of all you are children what the fuck is going on you should probably not be having sex when you're at school but um (laughs) also uh i don't know whether he's an asshole all the way through do you know what i mean because that's kind of how people behave. They they go out with each other for like a week and then they break up and it's like a big drama and then they move on to someone else. And they say horrible things in the moment but then they move on. Okay, yeah, you have a point. I just... She's like 12 or 13 she's, or 14. Yeah. She's like young. Yeah. She, 13? Yeah. 12. I don't know. Yeah, something like that. But like... She's young. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, fair enough. But I mean, what are you... Like getting all your friends and, and you to, to be calling this girl a frigid bitch and the Virgin Mary and Ice Queen and all of this stuff because she yeah. wouldn't make out with you is obviously could change but that's the beginning of like predatory behaviour like not taking no for an answer and then insulting someone yeah I mean I guess if they were older I would see it as perhaps being a character trait more than just being a tween yeah yeah no you're right <laughs> so... I think I think I took it much more I took it more as the sort of age where you would be using insults like snow blowing because 12 year olds shouldn't <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> that was and i love that jackie didn't know what snow blowing was either like i didn't know when i first watched this or the first like loads of times of course. i definitely Why would you <laughs> no i 100 percent googled it as soon as i had like or i say googled definitely wasn't googled it was like ask jeeves or yahoo <laughs> uh, <laughs> like when jeeves what's snow blowing <laughs> I'm yeah. sure that's exactly what P.T. Woodhouse wanted Jeeves to be asked. Absolutely. Um, and <laughs> also, writing here. I totally would not have known how to clear my browser history. So. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, no incognito. No. <laughs> Woo, blimey. I just, at um, least I remember I never clicked on any of the videos. So, you know, that's that's a bonus. So you weren't mentally scarred for life then? No, no. <laughs> well, I mean, a little bit so, scarred. <laughs> well, yeah, just from the mention. Yeah. Um. One thing I did want to ask, because obviously by the end, we know it's going to be the last Christmas. And this is why it kind of feels kind of the right time of year to start watching this film. Because yes. it goes from fall or autumn into um, into Christmas time and everything. And it's lovely. It's going to be their last Christmas together, most likely. And so Susan Sarandon, who is literally terminally ill, is able to make these devastatingly beautiful um, gifts for her children. Oh, they are stunning. She makes... They're so amazing. She makes this cape for Ben, the magician, um, and has this amazing conversation with um, him about, in the way that you can only really probably do with with really young kids, about yes. what happens when somebody you love is no longer with you and how will you be able to still have that connection. Um, she has this really lovely beautiful. conversation. It was really lovely. And then with Anna, she makes her this amazing quilt out of like her old dresses and oh. um, you know all these different mementos, pictures that she'd put onto fabric and sewn into this amazing quilt. And as beautiful it was, I couldn't help but think you were making a little bit of a dig at me because I still haven't fucking finished my quilt. So, <laughs> damn it, you saw straight through me. <laughs> 
Yes. Um, so rude. Not only have you not finished your quilt, but I don't have a cape. I don't. Oh my understand. god. Why? <gasps> and ne- neither does Bear. No. Oh my god. A cape with Bear, like Bear in a cape. Perfect. A little he... chihuahua with a cape on. Yes, Love it. Perfect. Yeah. Any any noises you do hear in the background today is my uh, beautiful son Bear who has decided he wants to be in here, which normally he's not in here with us when we record. I say with us, you're not here. Um, <laughs> and yeah. um, he's decided today he wants to be in here. Um, but he keeps well, he deciding very... then he doesn't want to be in here. Well, I think sometimes he just has very strong opinions about this film, and I don't blame him. Oh, he definitely <laughs> does. Especially his strongest opinion, though, Bear, correct me if I'm wrong here, um, is that he doesn't have a cape. Okay, so we need to get on that then. Yes, well, Christmas is coming up. So, okay, yes, it was it was uh, potentially a dig at you uh, that you haven't finished oh, bear your agrees. Case. Um <laughs> Yeah, oh yes, he does. Um, yeah, I... Uh, obviously, well, other I than it. that, other than the, the fact that it was a dig at you, I just, I really wanted to have that sit by the fire, cosy up, because I'm I'm very lucky where I am right now in the house that I'm renovating. There is a open fire, um, so I can like put it on every night and snuggle up next to it. And it does feel very sort of like autumny, wintry, Christmassy. And I was like, oh, you know, leading up to Christmas, we'll do like a lovely snuggle up Christmas film. And then I nearly put the fire out with the amount of tears. <laughs> it was a great it was a great um kind of transition film in terms of just the seasons mm. and we end where we're meant to we end at christmas we haven't gone that far into the into the next year yeah. so um it was a good one to choose like at this time so yeah and i really enjoyed actually revisiting because it's been quite a few years since i last watched it yeah same actually and yeah i'm glad i did plus i mean you cannot fault the cast and it's a very yes bear agrees you cannot fault the cast <laughs> and um it's also just a very female fronted and female led cast um and story yeah which i obviously enjoy so yeah i'm glad i'm glad i picked it even though it did make me cry a lot <laughs> um yeah Okay, so yeah, that was that was Stepmum, which was our first pick for our wintry themed, holiday themed films. Uh, so, what was your pick for this week, Soph? So I'm back in the forties again, of course. Um, Shocker. I wanted, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk about the 1947 film The Bishop's Wife, which was uh, directed by Henry Costa and written by Robert E. Sherwood and, quite frankly, many, many other writers um, because there was a little bit of issues with production on this one, apparently. Um, And it stars Cary Grant, Loretta Young and David Niven. Um, And it's a film about a bishop, um, so a man who is kind of asking for, praying for guidance because he believes he's praying for guidance for this project that he... um, really wants to um, succeed in, which is to build this new cathedral. And so he prays for this guidance and an angel arrives and um, is there to help him. But rather than helping him with this kind of act of hubris, this act of um, ego to build this uh, cathedral, he instead helps or supposedly helps him come to realize what is really important about um, being in his position which is to help his community, particularly in times of need, particularly at this time of year at Christmas, 
to be more uh, engaged and connected with his friends and his family and his wife and his child and the people in his life uh, who he in many ways neglects because he is so driven by this need to have this legacy and to build this this massive building of worship which perhaps looks amazing but doesn't actually serve the community in in the same way as being able to provide for the basic needs of his community might do so um so Cary grant comes in as the angel and uh is basically there to try and make everything right so it's a very Christmassy film in the sense that uh, it's literally set at Christmas. There's lots of snow. There's lots of Christmas trees. Um, there's an amazing scene where Cary Grant just puts up the Christmas tree in the fastest way you could ever probably ever seen. And very I jealous. Was very of that. jealous. <laughs> exactly. There was no moment where he's like sat there untangling a pair, you know, a big string of lights that he just shoved in a box last year because he couldn't be asked. You know. <laughs> there was I, I don't know what you mean like by that. that going on. That feels like a direct dig <laughs> at me and. <laughs> It was a direct dig at me. I did it once and I just went, you know what, fuck this. I'm actually just going to go supply some other, um, like, I tried for like a full hour and I could not untangle them. Um, so he, it's just very, very kind of Christmassy. There's lots of jolly characters as well. There's lots of things about ice skating. So it just kind of gets you in that wintry mood. Yeah, I, I agree. I It's obviously a very Christmassy film. And I did like the fact that it did try and steer away the uh, bishop from this very selfish act of building this cathedral. You don't need, as a church, you don't need to spend at the time four million, which in today's money is a shit ton more, to build a cathedral when it's stated in the film that it's such a hard time for people and people are really struggling. And he's already got a fucking Mm. church that he's just abandoned. Yes. So I did like that the film had that sort of message of, although I don't think it, it carried it out fully as well as it could have. I there think that it had that film. message. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think because it came out in 1947 and in 1946, It's a Wonderful Life came out as well. Uh, both of these were not actually that successful when they were first released, but have become more successful um as they've been kind of shown on TV year after year, they've mm. built up more of an audience. Um, but I think The Bishop's Wife actually was slightly more successful than It's a Wonderful Life at the time. Though I personally would argue It's a Wonderful Life is a better film uh, because this film does have some some problems, but they both share the same kind of, kind of ethos that it's not necessarily about the things in life that are kind of monetary, that are materialistic, that matter. It's about relationships and community that matter and that's what you should be kind of focusing your life on that's where you can find value um for yourself and 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 kind of in the wider community um is through these kind of good acts towards others and through kind of making these relationships and these bonds so those are the kind of the 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 same kind of messages that you get in these two very kind of similar in that sense film However, The Bishop's Wife um, have has probably one major flaw, which um, I think you, uh, when we talked about this before before starting today, um, you certainly kind of mentioned, was a little bit iffy, which is that the, the character of the angel is not necessarily, uh, or doesn't come across necessarily as uh, benevolent as you might want. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, it, it, he very much came across as quite selfish and smarmy and very, like, manipulative. Yes, definitely. Um, definitely. <laughs> which I, I was quite taken aback because I'd never seen this film before. And watching it, I, from the get-go, did not like him. And so it kind of threw the whole movie for me where I was like, oh, wait, he so he is the good guy in this he is trying to help everyone because it really doesn't feel like it no he um so i had seen this film before um quite a few years ago and i must admit couldn't remember huge amount about it um (laughs) it was a kind of film that i definitely had on like when i was wrapping presents one year and so i was kind of half paying attention i just felt it was really christmasy watching it again though um yeah the angel is problematic Um, (laughs) (laughs) because well, he kind of, as you said, he, he manipulates a lot of the situations and kind of people's emotions as well. Um, yeah. Instead of kind of working with the bishop on his own issues, he instead decides that he's going to solve all of these issues or provide guidance to the bishop by making the bishop jealous yeah. as he goes out with his wife. Um, Which also then and- manipulates the wife into kind of yeah. developing feelings for him, kind of. Yes. Like, well, yeah, she never Especially acts when, upon it, but no, but it, it, it's a bit kind of icky. Yeah. And he creates this uh, relationship with the daughter as well, in a way that obviously the bishop has has kind of lost his way and is not as attentive to his family. And so it's kind of like he's coming in and making a wedge in between them yeah. by him being this amazing person that the bishop could not really ever live up to. And then uh, the angel does just does loads of things, particularly the one that really got me about him being manipulative was when he um, spends time with uh, Gladys Cooper's character, Mrs. Hamilton, who is this widow who has loads of money and who the bishop is trying to get lots of funding for this cathedral out of. But uh, she is very demanding about certain things that she wants in this cathedral particularly in honour of her late husband. And the angel comes in and behaves in a way where he literally manipulates her by playing music that her ex-lover or ex-romantic partner um, had written for her, and she was the only person who knew that, and emotionally manipulates her into um, revealing how she had never loved her husband, how she had loved this man and left him because he was not rich enough, um, and therefore, she had realised that she was only trying to create this this kind of monument to her husband in the cathedral because of her guilt over never having loved him. And so, therefore, was going to instead choose to spend the money um, on her community rather than on the chapel. Oh, sorry, the cathedral. And whilst I understand that that's a, that wasn't necessarily a bad thing in terms of getting her to change her mind about how she wants to spend her money on a more positive thing for the community. The fact that he emotionally manipulated her in that way was questionable. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, it it was so manipulative. Like, what I understand that it the, the right outcome came from it. You don't need another cathedral. Mm. You've got enough money. 
you're dealing with all of these incredibly privileged people who all have these like people working for them and these giant houses so i can understand wanting to to change the way that they think about spending their money and do it for the good of the community that that is an excellent message the way they went about it is not the right way at all and also it takes <laughs> away any any free will which is kind of the whole point of the film in a way as well because even at one point they say about how once this angel has decided to guide you in a certain way and you do his bidding basically mm. you will then forget that he's ever manipulated you into it and forget that he even existed and you think that you came up with it all by yourself so if that's the case it takes away any free will from you at all because anything you do could just be manipulated from this like other being which yes in in this film is not a good person well it, he's meant to be good but it's just i agree with you like if if it's really guidance then there must be an element of free will yeah because to guide someone someone you're helping someone make a decision and make a a choice or an action um that they want to you know go forward with if you just do everything for them by manipulating them that speaks more to maybe kind of predestination where they have no control over it, which kind of goes against this idea that the angel who himself says he is there to provide guidance is actually just more controlling and therefore not allowing that free will. So it kind of becomes more problematic. And to be honest, even if we're not going into the, the morals of it, it becomes less satisfactory as um, a, an audience member, as, as somebody watching it, because you don't get to see someone actually make those decisions come to the, that understanding by themselves yes they may have been guided by somebody but you don't get to see them have that aha moment yeah. where they go wow okay i realize that i've kind of come out of this haze and i realized that i was so focused on this one thing that i was neglecting everything else and i can't believe that i did that i need to um you know rectify that and you know what i'm going to do instead of the angel having written it i'm going to write this amazing sermon for christmas yeah. where i maybe talk about what i have learned and the spirit of christmas let's go back to it being a christmas film you know and being a bit cliche and cheesy you know the whole spirit of christmas that we should be there for each other and we should you know praise the fact that um you know our savior is born and he is going to help us morally through our lives yeah that's sort of kind of message or kind of concept that would have been far more rewarding than Cary Grant's angel manipulating the whole situation and then David Niven's bishop just being uh coming basically taking the angel's words and reading it and not really understanding what's going on and somehow he's come to the right decision but even he doesn't really fully understand it and you don't feel like anyone's learned anything yeah which which is the payoff on films like this is that they change their mind. Like, look at Scrooge. Look at anything like that. The the payoff yeah. is that they change their mind and realise the error of their ways and go back to the correct path. You can be guided to mm. the path, whether it be through an angel or through ghosts. Like, you can be guided <laughs> to the path, but you have to make the decisions yourself or else you haven't learned anything. There is no exactly. payoff then. Whereas in this film, they it's like they almost forgot at the... That, that had to be the ending. Yes. And so it was like, it was, it, it felt like it was written as a film where a man calls himself an angel, can do magical things, 
comes in to steal someone's life mm. and then at the end it's like this quick turnaround of oh no wait we've got to um have the priest uh, sorry the bishop suddenly realize the error of his ways but yeah. he doesn't actually do it as you said like it would have been so much better if he had written his own sermon not just been like oh shit what am i reading here yeah um or yeah like turned up to the church when they were doing the choir thing rather than being manipulated into being stuck with the old rich lady by literally being stuck in a chair yeah sorry i'm terrible with names (laughs) oh so am i don't worry um (laughs) it's just because it's gladys cooper and i love her um we've already talked about her before and on the episode with now voyager um (laughs) (laughs) so uh clearly she's an amazing character actress that i deeply love um from the 1940s uh (laughs) but yeah it's just disappointing um because the feel-goodness of this film is let down by the fact that we don't really get that moment at the end. But there are characters in the film that I did really enjoy. So I really enjoyed Sylvester. Oh my God, I loved loved Sylvester. (laughs) He was such a sweetheart. (laughs) And I loved when they um, went to go ice skating and he was trying to ice skate. Because if I'm going to be completely honest, it completely reminded me of you, Kim. Um, (laughs) Even if you're not on ice, that is you struggling to walk around yep. generally uh, yep. with your general kind of discombobulated but <laughs> approach I, to walking. <laughs> ideally for me, we'd have some like glamorous woman. They can be in a suit. That I would, I would not be down like <laughs> against that. Come and save me from my like clumsiness. That well, would be the payoff I of mean... my movie. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I love Sylvester. I thought he was really sweet and fun and he had a lot of the kind of spirit of christmas spirit of goodwill about him because well yeah he gave he he gave a free taxi ride to them numerous times exactly because he really had such a great time with them he was like it's okay this is my payback i'll give you a free ride i'll do this that and the other and he seemed to be one of the more generous characters that we see which i did have a slight issue with the them saying oh what do i owe you well, as they pull up to a mansion with servants, and he well, there was that, yeah. goes, "Oh no, nothing," and they didn't even go, oh, "We'll take a Christmas tip at least." No, but at the same time, I think that shows more about him—somebody who perhaps has less, but still has the right morals or the right oh, kind of behaviour and belief. It speaks volumes of Sylvester, but again, it puts another dampener on the angel a little bit. Just taking <laughs> free rides everywhere. Uh, taking free money from people. I mean, I'm assuming that uh, the bishop's wife paid for that very expensive lunch that they had. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, because he so, said he doesn't have any money. So Exactly. So, I mean, he's getting a free ride everywhere. Um, but one thing he does give back is he does give back um, a lot, a lot of sherry to Professor Wotheridge. Um, and <laughs> I I really like Professor Wotheridge's uh, character as well. Me too. I thought he was really fun and engaging and just delightful. The fact that he, every year, despite not being religious, goes and has an argument with a man over a really shitty little Christmas tree and it's their little tradition that they both seem to kind of, with a twinkle in the eye, enjoy, even oh. though they both look frustrated with each other. 100%. <laughs> it's, like, it's like their little bantery routine every year they know christmas yeah. is, is coming because they're having this little fake argument 
uh, <laughs> and it's I bet they both really look forward to it all year. Oh, definitely. And I just I just really liked how genuinely warm he was. He gave away this little Roman coin that he had first of all, which he didn't think was worth much, and then even when he realised it was worth money, he still gave it away. Yeah. because he had a good heart. He also has quite a few funny moments, particularly with um, when with the sherry that Cary Grant's angel keeps refilling. This is the only thing that I thought the angel did that was genuinely a good move, is to keep that uh, glass filled, um, because that is the spirit of Christmas, literally. It's <laughs> um, to just drink, drink, drink a lot. Of, I mean, I wouldn't choose sherry, but it was popular in the 1940s. So It was my um, grandma's favourite drink. We always had to have a nice uh, bottle of Croft Original for a... Oh, a little tipple <laughs> on Christmas. Love it. And every other um, day. But, but yeah. also, so fucking jealous of this little cubby hole he has for his bottle of sherry. Oh, stop In it. his mantelpiece. Yes. Oh, my God. I mean, the amount of amazing carved uh, wood decor... Yes. in these houses also i was in love with um so but the fact that he had this little kind of uh secret hideaway oh, i loved it hidden places are my jam i love <sighs> stuff like that just like that whole setup is just so much fun and i know it's not meant to be like this centerpiece of the film like but just these little details i just love that sort of stuff that that hidden bit for me made the whole film <laughs> Like... <laughs> exactly and it says so much about his character as well he is that little kind of quirky kind of person yeah absolutely um... and also the fact that he said that he's been uh trying to write the book since he taught in vienna and still hasn't like and he's yes. just putting the publishers off 100 percent. i was like mm-hmm, yep i feel like that might have been an attack at me much like stepmom was an attack at you with the quilt i was like oh she's coming at me <laughs> <laughs> oh yes i am definitely a hundred percent coming at you start writing empathy <laughs> um <laughs> one thing i didn't like with the uh professor was the bit where at the end uh he because he always says he's an he's an atheist doesn't have any yeah. religion he says that the whole way through and then all of a sudden he's manipulated manipulated into turning up to church. Yes, and we know, church. we know that he is manipulated because the angel is literally there and he turns around looking very confused as to why he's walking to a church, but he still goes because he seems to be under this like trance, just like the rest of the people that are walking in seem to be like in this trance. And what, again, I really didn't like was the fact that, it's, again, it takes away his free will, takes away his agency. That, therefore takes away perhaps if he does have some kind of uh, conversion or some kind of coming to the light moment where he does discover he has some faith then it takes that away from him where he could have come to that and then chosen to go to the church or just you know can you not just have like a moral someone who has great morals who is not religious yeah absolutely and don't get me wrong if you want to go to church or anything like that then crack on but it should be out of your own free will even if you're not a believer for example i i'm an atheist and my chosen sister let's call her um she was graduating and so i went to her graduation mass and i i went to support my chosen sister and i loved it i thought it was beautiful i thought the church was beautiful i thought that she was so happy and it was like celebrating her graduation but it was my own free will going there 
and I didn't yes. do it for the religious side of it. Whereas it's this very much felt like he was forced into going for the religious side. I'm sorry, I do have to apologise for Bear barking in the background there. He, uh, he, he feels he very strongly you. about this. <laughs> exactly. He feels that free will is incredibly important, as do I, as do you. And uh, I just think it would have been more satisfying if he made that choice by himself. Or, you know what? He doesn't actually need to be there. He could instead, um, instead of going into the church, maybe just be walking by and put, I don't know, put another like nickel into the um, into the charity box or something. Just if you want to have him at the end of the story, as we say goodbye to our characters, everyone's going into the church, the angel is leaving, the professor's walking by, maybe he's walking by with his little Christmas tree or something and he's having an argument again, or he's putting a little bit of money into a charity box or something like that. And then that's cool. We've said goodbye to our characters. No worries. But it just felt like it was too coercive. Not even coercive because he doesn't even get convinced of something. He's just literally controlled and manipulated like a puppet. It was definitely one of the... It kind of left the film on a little bit of a sour note, um, which is a shame because I think there are are good things in this this film. And so it's really... it's, it's, It's... probably going to be Marmite you know you're either going to like it or you're not I think it's quite a conflicting film both in what it's trying to do and also in perhaps the you know, experience that people have watching it I did feel very Christmassy though so I don't regret it on that sense I did watch it feeling very Christmassy particularly as we said earlier with the you know the Christmas tree and with all the snow which was probably made of asbestos because they did that back in the day and I did worry that they were all going to die of cancer and <laughs> but all that kind of sort of stuff it did make me feel Christmassy all the carols you know that were sung it really did get me in that kind of Christmas spirit and remind me that I do need to still buy some presents but <laughs> it was, you know there was a lot going there in terms of like the overall mood but I do feel like in terms of like the message and what they were trying to do with the character of the angel, they kind of were, uh, they kind of let the film down a little bit. And I think a lot of that probably came down to the fact that the production of this film was very chaotic. So they started making the film and then uh, stopped and started all over again in many cases with new star, uh, new, new stars in there, new actors playing those roles. Um, and so that cost them a lot of money in the first place. And they started all over again after rewrites, which apparently also included the likes of Billy Wilder, who has uncredited writing on this uh, film. And so they obviously did it again. They, I believe they switched around David Niven and um, Cary Grant so originally Cary Grant was the bishop and David Niven was the angel and they switched it. So they did. there was clearly a lot of issues making this film and unfortunately I do see that that comes through in the final product because I think the script is not tight enough and is not as well developed as it needs to be to get across the message that I think they were trying to, to achieve. Yeah, I think, I think it drops the ball. I think that it had... It had a basis that could have gone very well. And it did have some aspects of it that were very entertaining, very enjoyable. Like the Christmas tree, the the windows that were all Christmassy, the snow, the ice skating, Sylvester, um, the sherry. Like all of these things 
were the Christmas side of it and you were like, oh, that's lovely. And then it just dropped the ball on getting the point across. And also I think the message was such a mixed up message where it was like, they're trying to say, oh, like do the right thing, but it's coming across as we're going to manipulate you into doing things by doing the wrong thing ourselves. Yeah. It does make you question the morals of the angel themselves. Yeah. And it does joke at one point whether he is actually a demon. Yes. And um, it could be, but you, you could put like a red t- uh, tinge on on this and, you know, put on some eerie music and you could kind of manipulate this this film itself into being about some kind of demon that comes in to create chaos in this bishop's life and to ruin him. You could easily do that because some of his behaviour is really not that dissimilar to perhaps a character that is set out to, to destroy the bishop rather than to help him. Well, yeah, I cause, so I didn't look up anything about it before I watched it and I've never seen it before. So I was quite confused through most of the film as to whether we're meant to like him or not. And obviously, what finished watching it, so I understand now, and I've like since looked up some stuff about it. Um, but yeah, I think that going into it, watching it as with like as a blank slate, like I had no no preconceived ideas of it beforehand at all. And I think I think that yeah, I you could easily turn this into a film where this manipulative demon comes up and creates havoc definitely it's it's a mixed bag this one what i would be really interested in is if anyone you know anyone listening if they have watched the film what do you think about this film where do you think it succeeds and where do you think it fails do you think it's a good comfort movie for christmas or do you think there are issues in there that kind of make it uh perhaps less comforting and more concerning (laughs) about his behavior and same with stepmom i'd really like to know um uh, if you've seen Stepmom, what do you think of that film? Because um, obviously we talked about it being a really emotional film, but also incredibly comforting. And yeah. you can definitely um, do that through following us on Instagram at Heavily Features Pod, uh, these films, because I think uh, both of them, well, the first one, Stepmom, is more nuanced than I think I'd originally appreciated when we first yes. watched this. And the second film, I don't know how people read it now, particularly nowadays, but, you know, this is an old film. Does it still hit the mark or does it kind of fail in some ways? I'd really like to know how people respond to this film when they yeah, see it. I would I would actually love to hear different opinions um, on both films, but especially The Bishop's Wife. Um, yeah. I'd really like to hear other people's points of views. Also, I'd quite like to hear points of views of people who maybe do have a faith. Um, what yes, their take was. That would, be, that would be super interesting. Um, so yeah, please do let us know. Um, and also, uh, if you could rate, review and subscribe, uh, it really does help. Um, so, yeah, if you go onto iTunes, definitely give us uh, a rating. Um, really, really helps. And also, if you could give us a share, that would be that would be awesome. Like just if you have any friends that really love films or you think would like to hear us talking shit, uh, share share this around with them. We do that a lot. <laughs> um, and for the rest of this month, as we said, we will be doing uh, holiday or Christmas movies. Um, and again, you can find out what they are uh, on our Instagram. Plus, we do have a Christmas special coming out as well. So uh, stay tuned for that. Be uh, very interesting. Yes, definitely. 
So um, we look forward to spending some time with you next week. Yep. Uh, Thank you very much for listening and see you then. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Heavenly Features. We are at Heavenly Features Pod on Instagram and Heavenly Features Pod on YouTube. And we are Heavenly Feats Pod on Letterboxd and Twitter. Uh, head over to our Instagram and Twitter and give us a follow if you want to watch along with us. We'll be announcing what films we'll be talking about the next week. And please rate, review and subscribe. This podcast was brought to you by 18 Maiden Lane Productions.